The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 138 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. we got a fantastic episode. First of all, we want to thank a new reviewer on Apple Podcasts, uh, mnelson14. Thank you so much for your remarkably kind words. Just so, so beautiful. Thank you so much, as well as your five-star review. We truly appreciate it. It's these reviews that keep on growing the show, and we are right now on track to have another record month of listeners. Thank you. We love getting these incredible stories and these uh, these faith-promoting lives out to the masses. Uh, another item we have this week is a little bit of follow-up from a past couple of guests. Uh, you may remember a few months back we had Andrew Knopp and Sal Veluto on the show. They are the uh, authors as well as illustrators behind the comic book Pillar of Light. I say comic book, graphic novel, whatever uh, you prefer to call it, but it's the story of the first vision just beautifully illustrated. Well, it is now available on Amazon. And uh, Andrew reached out to me and we're so excited about it. I have already ordered my copy. You can you can get it on Kindle. I ordered the paperback because I want it in my library. It is uh, only $12.95 and we will share that link on our Facebook page. But congratulations to Sal and Andrew for putting together such a beautiful, beautiful work and uh, super excited about it. So look for those links or just search... Um, Pillar of Light on Amazon, and you're sure to find it. Okay, this week in the conversation, my guest, uh, Michael White, I was so impressed. Michael is someone I've never met before, but I've known of him for a long time. If you uh, have been listening to the show for a while, you know how much we love High Five Live. We've had Corey Andrews on, as well as Gainalyn Condi, and also uh, Carrie Ann Hoops have all been on the show. We love all of them, and Michael's part of their group. And this week in my latter-day life, praying for comfort from across the pond. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today on the Latter-day Lives podcast, my guest is a very exciting speaker. He is also one of the co-founders of High Five Live, which we've talked about so much, but I still have lots of questions about High Five Live. Michael White, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. No, I'm super excited to have you on, and this has been a while in the works as we've worked our way through the <laughs> the High Five Live people, so this is great. And uh, in fact, we've had Gaina Lynn. She is the only guest who's ever been on twice. So, you know, but, uh, you know, she she is the one that would be on twice. You know, and I'll, I'll you know, I'll make sure she hears this part as well. So <laughs> <laughs> that'll be great one. I'm so glad you're on. We have lots of questions about all the speaking you do and High Five Live and all the cool stuff. But before we get into any of that, let's get to know you. Tell us a little bit about where you're from. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I'm from Mapleton, Utah. Uh, Mapleton is just south of Provo, about 15 minutes south. 
I uh, spent most of my life in Mapleton. I mean, I'd really say all of it. Uh, a, a year here and there, kind of. My mom actually uh, grew up in Hawaii, and so we we mm. kind of have some roots there. I know, right? What a place to grow up. <laughs> That's awesome. I know, and so we. Uh, but we'll go back there, you know, for basically whole summers at a time. And so when I was growing up, I mean, I I go there for you know months even, and our families would almost just kind of swap houses with professors who are teaching at BYUH or whatnot. And, and so I claim Mapleton, Utah, and then that's like my glorified vacation home. Is Hawaii. No kidding. <laughs> you got to spend that much time in Hawaii. See, I'm jealous. I, I was just telling a friend of mine this morning how much I miss Hawaii. It's been a few years now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I bet. I mean, with your line of work, you probably go there every once in yeah. a while. I'm sure you love it. Yeah. We, we've been there quite a bit. My parents actually served a mission on the big island a few years ago. So beautiful place. So growing up, uh, were you, were you raised in the church? I was, uh, uh-huh, yeah. So my, uh, I mean, my, my family is, you know, as far as roots go back, I mean, they, they came across on the plains, right. Pioneers and whatnot. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, my, my family's all been members as far back as grandparents, great grandparents. Um, I mean, there's, there's a few stories as far as in there with, with what they have. And it, it honestly is pretty incredible to listen to it. And really, honestly, just faith-promoting stories. But yeah, as far as with me, born and raised in the church. Um, but I mean, it really, you know, I mean, just like anyone else, having having that moment where it's kind of like, okay, is this real or is this not? <laughs> have yeah. I been lied to my whole life or no? <laughs> <laughs> Did you have? Uh, do you have siblings? I do. Uh huh. So I have. Uh, I come from a family of six siblings. And, uh, mm. one adopted sibling. Um, yeah, my, I have a adopted brother. Well, he's not legally adopted. He, um, mm. I mean, I can tell you the story here real quick if you like. Yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. So he, when I was in high school, I, uh, I tried out for a school play and I'm not, I'm not incredible. I mean, I'm an all right actor, but I mean, singing wise, I'm like, eh. And, um, <laughs> I tried out for this school play, not as a joke, but kind of like, I didn't really know if I'd get in or plan to get in and I didn't prepare anything. I felt like everyone else was preparing things. And I just sang a whole new world from Aladdin. That's all I sang. I sang the girl part too. And, um, yeah, I love it. I, yeah, I, I just tried out just, like I said, I don't know if it was a joke or not. A really cute girl I liked was trying out. I think that really motivated it. But, um, what happened was I, it was the play thoroughly modern Millie. And oh, yeah. If, yeah. Have you, have you seen that before? Like you've two Chinese guys in the play? No, no. Okay. I, I'm familiar with the play, but I have no idea what it's about. Okay. No, no, you're good. So in the play, there are two Chinese characters and I was cast as one of those Chinese characters. I was Ching Ho. And, oh no. I oh, know oh, it's no. pretty, pretty exciting. And, uh, and, <laughs> The other, the other character, the my, uh, the other one who was cast, he uh, he was a foreign exchange student from Thailand and China. He had literally been in the states for like a month, and his foreign exchange or his family he was staying with was like, "Hey, you should try out for the play," and um, you know, so he got the other Chinese role because he was already fluent in Chinese, and none of the lines were in English. Like everything I was saying was in Chinese. <laughs> and, um, he got cast and I got cast and I had to have him teach me some of my lines, not some of them, all of them. And, um, even then, eventually I just gave up on it and I just made up my lines cause no one would know. 
but uh, <laughs> he, uh, he and I became super good friends. And uh, he asked my family if he could come live with us after a couple months. And we thought it would just be for six months. And he ended up living with us for about 12 years. <laughs> wow. Um, yep. Yep. And he, uh, incredible individual. He, he, he came from, like I said, uh, China and Thailand. He kind of go back and forth. He was Buddhist and he's an incredible conversion story. I mean, honestly, it was that right there and watching him progress in the gospel. He took the missionary lessons for about three, three and a half years and has an incredible conversion story. Oh, that is really, really cool. So I, I have to ask, this was obviously quite a few years back. Uh, mm-hmm. Was it uh, less politically incorrect <laughs> then for you to play a, a Chinese character that it sounds like now? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, think, I think so. Cause you're right. Like looking back, it is kind of like, Oh, but I, I don't think they would have had anyone else who, you know, and, and once again with political correctness, at least would racially fit that profile sure. and not saying that I would, but I think they just knew like, Hey, this kid can just, if he can sing a whole new world, both male and female parts, then we can. Hey, that's our guy. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and it's amazing how all that led to this incredible conversion and someone who is in, you know, sounds like in every facet is like a brother to you. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, he, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I could go on that forever, but yeah, it honestly, I mean, you, you look back and see how God is in the detail of your details of your lives or life. Right. Sorry there. And yeah, it's very apparent, especially in that story with me. Oh, that is such a beautiful story. So uh, what else were you into when you were growing up? We know that uh, theater wasn't your direct path, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it definitely was not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I, I uh, as far as just growing up, I was really big into soccer. Um, loved, loved soccer. I played soccer mm. competitively for you know a dozen or so years, and um, that was really fun. I went on my mission, uh, and I got super fat on my mission, so soccer kind of went out the window after that. (laughs) But I, uh, I served my mission in, uh, in London, England. So I, uh, London holds a special place there in my heart. Absolutely. Absolutely love England there. Tell us about London. Tell us about your feelings on London. Yeah. Oh my word. I, uh, it's funny because when I got my call, I, and this sounds terrible, but I said, I didn't want to go to anywhere in Europe or in the British Isles. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) That's what I said. I, I wanted to go to some island where, you know, I'd teach this tribe who had never seen, you know, a white American man before or anything like that. Like I, I just wanted to go somewhere very, you know what I mean? Just, you know, I mean, yeah. you remember what it was like when you got your call, right? Just so the stories, it was totally an arrogant complex. Yeah. And um, when I got my call to London, I was disappointed. And uh, I thought it would be so, I thought it would be just like the United States. And when I got there, I mean, obviously there's similarities, but when I got there, I mean, there's, they aren't even no. close to being as similar. I mean, the first, I, I, I went to the MTC over there, Sean, and, and they gave us a pass along card in the mail to give to someone on the plane on the way to the MTC. Right. Um, yeah. And I sat next to this guy and, you know, I've never given a pass along card to anyone. And, and he was clearly from England, England or Scotland, somewhere up North. And all I said to him was, so do you believe in God? And to this day, I still have no idea what that man said. <laughs> no idea. Oh, he, oh that's he, fantastic. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, he said something and I gave him the card and just, just 
you know, I just kind of ignored him for the next nine hours of the flight. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So how was, uh, how was the mission part of, uh, being in London? It was great. It was great. I mean, people, I, I, uh, I think one of the reasons why I was worried to go to, a, a the UK or, or Europe was cause I heard that, that, you know, the, I would hear the phrase that the, you know, it's had its time. Europe has had its time. You know, they, they, they've had their moment. And as a missionary there, I, I can't say how incorrect that is. I mean, the work there was incredible. I, I saw miracle after miracle and saw people who God had prepared to not just get baptized, but build the kingdom there. And it, it honestly, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how much just I love, love those people there in the United Kingdom. You get home from your mission, and uh, what came next? Yeah, yeah. So uh, after I got home from my mission, so I started up just at BYU, and um, BYU kicked my butt. I mean, I I got destroyed, <laughs> destroyed there. Uh, but it was it was good. Um, I uh, I studied at BYU public relations or communications, and uh, and from there I graduated there at BYU. Had an incredible experience. I uh, had to obviously learn how to restudy. I feel like, I mean, that first semester destroyed me. Um, did you have a, did you have a plan for your degree when, when you no, chose that degree at BYU? No, not, not at all. And you'll, you'll laugh at this, but the only reason why I chose that degree, well, cause I do nothing with PR now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I chose that degree because everyone was telling me, Oh, you're so good with people. You're so good with people. And I thought, well, fine, I'll just do this degree. Cause that's what everyone says I'd be good at. Cause I'm apparently I'm good with people. And um, halfway through my degree, I, I, I'm not going to say I didn't like it, but I was like, there's no way I'm going to do this long term. And uh, But I didn't want to change. I was like, there's no way I'm changing my major. I'm just finishing school, and then I'll go figure the rest out. <laughs> uh, for people who haven't, like me, I, I didn't do the BYU thing. What did you think of the uh, what was the, the social scene at BYU? I've heard people who just thought it was the greatest thing ever. And I've heard other people who kind of uh, were not as big of fans and maybe felt there was some some pressure there. And my favorite one was someone who walked in the door loving it and walked out the door ready to be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good way of describing it. Yeah. Um, no, I, I did. I did enjoy my time at BYU. It is an extremely competitive school. Um which is good, but I think sometimes it's not the best fit for everyone. Um, I've, I have a few friends that definitely, I, I feel like maybe they, they would have had a better experience elsewhere. Um, but I, myself, I, I really did enjoy it. I do feel like it pushed me well. And my, my major was small enough that I wasn't in these jumbo sized classes. I mean, it was very hands-on with my professors and, and I did feel like I was prepared as far as entering like the workforce and what I do now. No, that's great. It's awesome. So, only thing so, I would complain about is just the dating scene. I mean, I could. I mean, that's a whole podcast in and of itself. <laughs> we, could, we could go on forever about that. Did you have a? Did you have a particularly bad date that you remember? Oh, oh, oh my! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> is that is that the sound of it's really hard to choose one? <laughs> where, yeah, where do I begin? Um, I, and and it's not just them it's me i i feel like dating is like <laughs> it's, it's like a mental illness like i honestly feel like people in the dating phase you say and do things you would never normally do and say right and um, for for everyone out there i'm still single if it's not obvious by now right 
And um, I, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, so just a few stories. Like I just shared one the other day on High Five Live. Um, yeah. I, I dated some incredible girls. So I won't share any stories from girls who I, who I dated, you know, steadily or anything like that. They were great. You know, just things didn't work out. But as far as like one-off stories, I came home right when dating apps became a thing. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah. and I mean, if that didn't change dating, I don't know what, what has dating apps became a thing. People are telling me to download, you know, this dating app or download this dating app and you swipe right, swipe left. And, and, um, I was like, okay, this is, this is kind of daunting. And, um, so I, I uploaded a couple of cute pictures of myself thinking that I would get a lot of, you know, matches people who want to go out with me. Oh yeah. And, um, yeah, right. I'm I'm like a solid five out of ten. I'd give myself. I <laughs> <laughs> um, love it. I, I I get swiping on these dating apps, and like after a week, I hadn't matched with anyone, like no one. <laughs> and um, that does something to a man's confidence, right? I was just like, what is wrong with me? And uh, finally, I match with this girl, and I am just elated, right? I'm so excited that I matched with a girl. And I wasn't there just to talk on the dating app. I was like, hey, we should go out sometime. And, uh, you know, and I don't know if this was my first match. It might have been a couple matches in, but it was with a particular dating app. And after, you know, after deciding a time and place that we go out, it was on a Saturday. Um, I texted her Saturday morning and kind of said, hey, is it cool if I pick you up at seven o'clock? And literally like a minute or two later, my phone buzzes and she replies, Hey Mike, I'm so sorry. I'm feeling sick. I don't know if I can make it tonight kind of thing. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, whatever. And I didn't reply to the text. I just saw it on my phone. I put my phone down and I'm not kidding. 30 seconds later, I got another text message and it was from the same girl. And she said, and I don't remember, this is paraphrasing, but she said, Hey Steve, my evening just opened up. Like you can pick me up at seven oh. if you like. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh, I, I was like, okay. Oh. Um, and it wasn't as stinging because it was a, a dating app. I had another girl. Oh, who, that's so funny. I, I know it. I need to write a book. Not really, but I should. Um, oh, that's great. <laughs> there was one other girl who she bailed on me. Same kind of thing happened. Hey, can I pick you up at six or seven or whatever? And she texted me back saying, hey, I can't make it tonight. I, I have a weed spraying certification that I have to go to. And I was like, a what? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, well, at least she probably wasn't making that up. I mean, you know. It hurt me even more. I was like, the weed spraying certification beat me. <laughs> <laughs> I lost a weed spraying certification. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, they're funny ones. But with that being said, like I said, I. It's a mental illness. I did just as and said just as many dumb things as, as other people. So I'm I am not immune to that. They're just funny stories. Did you feel did you feel pressure? We've talked we've had a few guests who who uh one guest who just cracked me up. It was so funny. He said uh he goes, So I graduated from you know, so I graduated from BYU single, so I failed BYU. I <laughs> think <laughs> <laughs> so Silly, but that's, I think there are some people who feel, did you feel pressure? Like, Hey, that's part of what I'm here for. Um, you know, no, because I didn't, I, when I first came home from my mission, I wasn't 
I wasn't chomping at the bit to get married until even a yeah. couple years there. And I wouldn't even say chomping at the bit. I had no desire to get married until I was probably like 23, 24. And for some reason I thought I could just get married like that. <laughs> and uh, obviously it hasn't happened five years later, but um, I, I don't think so as far as at BYU. What I did feel pressure in, and it was, you know, I, I had, uh, I, it wasn't from people telling me I should get married. I think it was from seeing people's lives move on before mine. Um, very mm. much a, a comparison, I think. And, you know, you see someone having a kid and it's like, oh, I, I like to have that now, or I'd like to, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah. we all do I that, think, right? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think so. And, and it, uh, yeah, it does, it does definitely become real. Um, it kind of plays into, and you and I were talking just a bit, even about my, my OCD. Um, even yeah. with that, I, I, that, that right there, I mean, we talk about dating and OCD. I mean, that's been pretty interesting, uh, as far as for me. Um, so let's talk about your OCD because that's something you talk about quite a bit. Um, I think I mentioned at the beginning, you're a speaker as well as, you know, a part of high five live. So you get to share a lot of uh, aspects of your life, but tell, tell us a little bit about your journey with OCD. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when I was 12 years old, I was diagnosed, like legitimately diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, mm. And and as a 12 year old, I just seen the movie What About Bob, and I uh, I just thought I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like Bob from What About Bob, <laughs> or I'm like Monk, <laughs> right from the TV show Monk. That's what I remember thinking. And you, um, before you were 12, did you, did you notice things about yourself? Did like, was this something you noticed or no? It was, so for me, I, I don't, um, I'm very vocal, especially with my parents. And so when it came on and as it slowly crept on, I feel like with uh, many mental illnesses and I'm, uh, just to, to let this be very public, I am not a therapist in any way. <laughs> sure. Um, but, but you're I an feel expert like, in your own situation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I feel like with many mental illnesses and that I've spoken kind of all around and I, I feel like most people have an event in their life that triggers it. You'll see traces of those distorted thoughts in your life, even before I was 12. Um, but then I feel like there are specific events that will then really kind of just landslide that avalanche care or make that mm. avalanche start going. And, um, that's kind of what had happened to me. It wasn't anything crazy, but yeah, as a 12 year old, to, to give you guys an idea, my OCD is a, uh, it's called scrupulosity. Basically it's a perfectionism complex. It's a religious OCD. Um, mm. and yeah, it, it really just stems into, I, I can never be good enough. It's a very much black or white thinking, which is either I'm absolutely perfect or I'm a complete and utter failure. Right. Gotcha. And, um, yeah, yeah. Is that kind of making sense here so far? Yeah. And you could see that when you were 12. I, I couldn't see it. What it was is I think my parents were super perceptive. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I don't been... mean you could, I mean, they could, it was obvious enough. Like, oh, I mean, OCD yeah. is not something that you go into a doctor and he says, Hey, you're, you know, you're allergic to wheat and you have OCD. <laughs> like there's no, there's no just testing like in day-to-day -day testing. They must've seen something, right? Yeah, definitely. I, it, it basically, it made me feel super guilty. And because of that, it made me depressed. Um, mm. You wouldn't have seen it as far as like when I was in public, but because I felt like that I was just never good enough, 
I, uh, I became much more quieter when I was at home. Um, I would constantly feel like everything I did was just not good enough. I mean, I can give you examples. They're really funny too. I'll give you an example from when I was a kid as well as from when I was older, because I still have it. I, to say that I don't have this would be a joke. I think I'll have this till I'm dead. And it's just more of I've, I've learned to deal with it or what I need to do to deal with it. Sure. Um, so when I was a kid, <clears throat> I uh, 12 years old, right? I mean, I, that's when I started really liking girls. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, and I will, you know, here's an example of an OCD thought. I'll never forget when I was sitting in band, band class and a girl was wearing bell bottoms. And, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like girls don't really wear those as much anymore. Maybe they do. But um, yeah. I, I, I still remember looking at those and thinking, wow, she is so cute in those bell bottoms. She was playing the flute. And immediately just my head, you know, in my, and, and, and I thought I was like, oh man, I'd like to kiss that girl. Right. Like 12 year old thought. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, of course. Right. Right. And <laughs> immediately I was just like, oh, Mike, you're going to hell for sure for that. Like, <laughs> oh, what? No. no. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally, totally real. And, um, things like you that. felt like that was some kind of sin. Oh yes, hundred percent. The thought itself, the th- I mean, the action itself. Just would- having the thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Just, just the thought itself. Um, Mike, that's heartbreaking. I, <laughs> yeah, there's that. There were, I mean, other ones would be like, um, I'm trying to think of of good ones here. Things like, oh, okay, a big one was honesty. Right, I was obsessed that I would cheat on someone's spelling test, and I still remember looking up. And just happened to see someone, how they spelled some word on it. It was a sixth or seventh grade spelling test. And because I happened to see that word, even though I knew how to spell the word, I thought, oh my gosh, I've just cheated. And so what I would do is, so that was my obsession. Like I feel guilty, feel guilty. So in order to feel better in this particular circumstance, I purposely spelled the name or the word wrong in order for me to feel better because I thought I cheated. Like my penance is to to get that particular word wrong. Oh no! Yeah, like, what a what a terrible way to live, though. I mean, my heart is breaking for twelve year old you. I mean, really, <laughs> like seriously, that's that 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 is so heartbreaking to hear. Are I know it makes sense because you lived it, but are you able to look back now and see the pressure that this condition put on you? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think put then as well as now. Um, I think today we we have, I, I think we have individuals, we live in a world that is very much of comparison. And I think when we look around and see what we perceive as perfect individuals or perfect lives, then we put these unrealistic expectations on ourselves. And when we mm. don't live to those expectations, then we beat ourselves up. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that is, and it's, and it's not something that you completely get over as you mentioned, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, it's something that you still, how, how, how often do you now get those thoughts and, and end up having to deal with them? Daily, for sure. Daily. I, I, it depends in what circumstance they'll flare up in different areas. Um, like dating, for example, is an area it will flare up in. Um, to, to give you an example of that, and you'll laugh at this one here, 
And, um, and I found that when I verbally say distorted thoughts out loud, it makes me realize how ridiculous they are. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's, I mean, that makes sense though. Yeah. 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 No, it definitely does. I, um, when I first came home from my mission, uh, the, you know, super excited once again to get into dating and the, uh, the first girl I ever kissed when I came home from my mission, same thing. I, I thought I was, I was doomed. I was like, I've done something wrong. Like mm. I, I'm a terrible human being. You know what I mean? Ugh. And, Gosh. um, yeah, yeah. Right. Which is, it's kind of funny because my, uh, you know, after, after that experience, I, I went home and I, 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 my parents or my dad could visually see that something was wrong with me. <laughs> and, uh, he just asked me, he just said, Mike, are you okay? Mm. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, kind of brushed it off and, and in my head, I knew it, I knew that it had to have been OCD. But the funny thing is, and um, and and I, I as I kind of get into this, I think those who have anxiety or OCD will be able to understand. Is in my head, I would think about it, and I'd be like, "No, Mike, I I am just fine. I've done nothing wrong." But then all of a sudden, I look at the experience from a different angle, and I say, "I say the terrible words of what if." Right. Mm. And you know what I mean? Well, what if I did this? What if I did yeah. this and I did this inappropriate right. thing? And, um, and pretty soon it just becomes a washing machine in my head of just these thoughts. Oh. And with this, with this particular one, I, uh, like I said, I, it was just, I just kissed a girl. It was, you know, it was great. There's yeah. nothing new. And, um, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, uh, I finally, I told my dad about it and my dad looked at me and he's like, He's like, you didn't do anything wrong. And I was like, he's like, did you do this? And I was like, no. And he's like, your hands were appropriate. I was like, yeah. And he's like, dad, I was just fine. Like, like logically I knew I was fine, but emotionally I couldn't cope with it. And my dad, he, uh, he was like, well, we're, you know, I think you should, you know, maybe go chat with a therapist and kind of get, kind of work through this. Right. And not just this, but you know, it kind of built up. This wasn't the only thing. This was just kind of one right. of those events that triggered it again. Sure. And I, uh, oh, Mike. That is amazing. Like what a, what an, a wild thing to have to deal with, but how great you have the perspective to see it. How with something like this, which is medical. And I mm -hmm. mean, I think that that's important that we recognize it's medical. Our, our guest actually last week, uh, we had a conversation about how nice it is to at least live in an era today that we recognize mental health as a health issue <laughs> that it's, you know, not just something that you snap out of or that you can, you know, whatever, it's something legitimately medical, but all that being said, how does the adversary use mental health issues? How does, how does he use them? Or is that not something you see? Maybe that's an assumption I'm making. No, no, I think, <clears throat> I think he definitely, definitely uses them. Um, and I think that I think we also use them ourselves, meaning the natural man. Um, yeah. As far as with, with how, how I see that, I, I think the biggest one is just shame. Um, mm. What, what yeah. I mean by that is, you know what I mean? You, you, you want to, sure. you want to live a perfect life and to admit that maybe mentally, you know, there may be something here, something there means that's means that something is wrong with you. Mm. And um, I think, I, when I say something is wrong with you, I don't say that in a harsh way, but you know what I mean? Right. Like meaning there may yeah. need to be some change. 
And of course, you know, I, I, I think sometimes people forget that. Um, yeah. Anyway, I hope that kind of answered your question there. <laughs> no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. You, it makes you question everything. I mean, it really, it does. And what, what a heartbreaking thing to have to go through, but I love that you're so open about it. And as you've shared this story, uh, which you have many times, what's, uh, what's some of the feedback that you get? Yeah, I, uh, I, I think as far as in, as a culture, once again, as far as a church culture, I think we live with people who, you know, you have a mother who is upset because her kids aren't perfect and either her kids are perfect or she's the worst mother on earth. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, an individual who struggles with certain addictions and either they're absolutely perfect at that, or they're the worst person on earth. Um, you know, or someone in in this area, it's, it's, it's this black or white thinking, right. Either or thinking. And, um, I, I think we would be very surprised at how common we are. And sometimes in one area or another, we feel like we have failed, but in reality, God doesn't work in black and white. I mean, he understands Mm -hmm. our lives are going to be in various shades and he works with that. Uh, I love that. There's a lot of pressure that we, I think that we perceive, but that we ultimately kind of put on ourselves. Don't you think? Yes. Oh yes. A hundred percent. Have you, um, you, you obviously are familiar with Brad Wilcox, right? Uh, yep. I know Brad. Sure. Okay. That his, his talk, the, his grace is sufficient talk. Yeah. Uh, that right there is for anyone struggling with perfectionism. I mean, understanding grace and how God yeah. judges us upon the heart that right there combined with, you know, therapy and other things has helped me more than anything. You know, I mean that, that true doctrine understood changes attitude and behavior, right? To quote president Packer there. And and that right there has helped a ton. I love it. I, we, we'll have to share a link to it. It is so deep and yet so easy to understand the way Brad puts that together. Yeah. It's just awesome. How did you get started in speaking? Yeah. So I, uh, I come home from my mission and, um, I, I wrote a blog post for, oh, I believe it was, uh, oh, I'm gonna, now I got to think of the name. Give me a second. It wasn't Elias Living. It was LDS Daily. I had to think there for a second. This was like okay. eight years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I'd written a blog post particularly on my, on my OCD. And um, after that, I, I just had a bunch of people just kind of request for me to come and do firesides to talk about it and how, how to basically cope with or understand how to feel perfect despite you being imperfect kind of thing. And, um, and that's kind of what started it. And then from there, I, uh, at BYU, I actually started teaching LDS seminary and I took the classes there and I, I met a lot of incredible people. Um, you know, a lot of, of great LDS speakers, uh, like Hank Smith or Brad Wilcox and, you know, a few others. Sure. And from there, it just kind of, you know, they, they, they have me come speak with them or I get invited to go speak with them or at various firesides. And, um, and I just love it. Um, I don't teach LDS seminary anymore because you, as a male, you have to be married <laughs> to teach. And so they, they only let me teach for a little bit. I didn't know that. Yeah. I had yeah, no but, idea that that was a real thing. I had no yep. clue. Yep. So I wow. talked for about a, that, that was for sure the most pressure I felt on getting married. I taught for about two years <laughs> and, um, and they said, come back, come back when you're married as a male. And so I, uh, yeah, once again, I had those two incredible years and, and from Is there, that something it, you think you'll revisit someday? 
I, I tell myself I'll cross that bridge when it comes. I think I easily could. I would love to. I love teaching the gospel. Um, and so I really do miss that. But I just cross, figure I'll cross it when it comes, see what life has handed me at that point. Tell us about uh, High Five Live and your involvement in it. Yeah, yeah. So while I was teaching LDS seminaries release time, I was teaching with uh, a man named Corey Andrews. And uh, Corey, he basically approached me saying, hey, Facebook and, and uh, social media has so much negative things. Let's start up a, a page where people just share incredible stories. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we started this page called High Five Live. And uh, it was intended to kind of, you're going to laugh at this, and I don't know if Corey will, will agree with me on this, but my interpretation is we were kind of, kind of make it like dude perfect, but for the church. <laughs> and, and if, if uh, anyone that's followed, funny. I know, right? Yeah. Especially looking yeah. at where it's at now. Um, yeah. If, any, if anyone follows it now, it's, it's nothing like, like that, that YouTube channel, but that's kind of where it started was kind of, Hey, we want to be sharing inspiring videos. And as we would ask guests to come on, we discovered that you know, more often than not, everyone has a story. Everyone has something that they can right. teach. Everyone has a miracle. And from there, we just decided to just get mainly guests on High Five Live and have them share, you know, their miracle or their principle that they want to teach the world. You've had some incredible, incredible guests, and you've had some that have gone viral. Like the numbers on High Five Live are unbelievable. To me, does it surprise you now how big it's gotten to be? Yes. Oh, well, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Um, not in regards of like we planned on making it big, but in regards of how quickly it happened, we, uh, you know, for example, the first viral video I remember was from a, a kid named Tanner Hutchins. And yeah, um, we've had Tanner. And you know, on the you show. know, Tanner, right? Yeah. I was going to say Tanner's, Tanner's been on, been a guest on the show. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's stellar. And, um, you know, I remember when his video went viral, I think it got maybe a hundred thousand views and, uh, you know, we just were kind of like, Whoa, like that, that can actually happen. And, and so, yeah, it didn't <laughs> surprise us in that regard. It, it, it's incredible the power that, that God has made through technology for us to kind of reach each other and, and really touch each other's lives. Yeah. I love what you guys do. I mean, I'm, I'm as big a cheerleader of high five live as there is out there. I, I just think it's, phenomenal and it's been a huge blessing to me i've gotten to be a guest four or five times and i would say i i would probably say very literally maybe 40 50 percent of the guests that have been on latter-day lives have have been on high five live and we're uh we we kind of uh compliment compliment each other well how on earth do you guys put together a message every single day yeah yeah great great <laughs> That's, I think, the miracle. I mean, it's right? every day. <laughs> it's every day on Facebook. Uh, it's definitely, it, it honestly, I, I look at people like Corey Enters. I mean, Corey is phenomenal at really, really running this, and uh, as well as our team members. We have, we have a, fairly, the, the, uh, a fairly large team. It's just kind of grown as we've gone more and more. But the way we do it is everyone's assigned a specific day, and, and we just find guests for that particular day. And, and uh, as we hear stories or people who, are willing to share. We just, you know, we have them on the, on the Facebook page and it kind of goes from there, but it definitely the behind the scenes of it, you know, it takes a lot of work. Um, you, you know, uh, Sean, you mentioned how, you know, Pam, 
Ackerman. I mean, she is like, yeah, I, I don't know Pam's how that amazing. woman can. Oh man, she is. It blows my mind with that, what she can do. I mean, she is incredible and she is definitely <laughs> one of the, those reasons. <laughs> She's amazing. And of course, you know, like I said, we've had, well, we, so we've had Corey, we've had Gaina Lynn and we've had uh Carrie and hoops as well. You guys all just have this incredible energy together. It's just awesome to see. So yeah. very, very cool. And if people want to check that out, they go to Facebook. As we mentioned before, we can uh, we can definitely definitely share a link for it. And you do, you're the MC for these uh, Onward Productions. Tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> Onward Productions, it's uh, it's a group. It's run by a, a, a couple named Shane and Mandy Johnson. They're from Idaho. And uh, they just kind of run these little events that are honestly around the United States. I mean, I've seen them up in Washington, Idaho, Arizona, Utah. Uh, I mean, kind of all over. I know they're they're planning on expanding here. I know the virus has probably thrown a wrench into things, but sure, um, you know, like everyone else. But yeah, they just throw these events together, and well, their goal is to uh, really just inspire youth and adults by bringing great speakers and great content to. LDS members in that region. Um, and so, yeah, they'll bring people like Hank Smith or John, by the way, or uh, Gainal Lynn Condi or Emily Bell Freeman. I mean, just these incredible speakers. And what I do for them is, yeah, they'll, they'll have me come in and just kind of MC or host those events and, uh, you know, just kind of be the, I guess the entertainment. And then they, they add the our speakers, add the spiritual side to it. So they're honestly incredible events and youth in particular. I mean, adults love them, but Youth in particular are the ones who I, I think get tons and tons out of it. I mean, I can't say how often just kids leave those events just beaming. Oh, they, you, they, they're ready to walk on water. It's incredible. It's, it's essentially, I mean, it's basically a big mega fireside is what, what it really is, right? I mean, it's yeah. speakers and, and more of an uh, sometimes even a, a half day or an all day session. I mean, to, to get to hear you and gain a Lynn and a Brad Wilcox and a John, by the way, I mean, that's a dream, you know, for, for people to, to have their kids be able to participate in something. That's what a neat experience. Yeah. It's, it's honestly, it's, it's, it's been incredible to watch. So what's next, what's next, uh, for Mike White? Yeah. I mean, right, right now. I mean, I, I kind of, <laughs> that's a good question right there, honestly, Sean, right? I, uh, <laughs> Maybe it's a good question for all of us right now. Uh, Maybe a little more relevant. <laughs> I know. Right. Right. I, I feel like I had plans and then I, every time I try and try and execute some of those plans, I feel like they get changed or something happens, which then tells me, you know, those plans probably weren't meant to be, but no, I, uh, <laughs> as far as for me personally, I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of making it to where, uh, you know, as far as with speaking and whatnot, doing a lot of the online, uh, a lot of online events, a lot of online firesides. Uh, I think the biggest thing is, you know, especially for me is I, uh, I, I love being able to teach the gospel. I think I had said this earlier and any way that I can teach, whether it's through high five live online firesides or through, uh, you know, through writing a book or blogs or whatever it is. And so that's what I'm just trying to look for is just ways in how I can teach. I think all the stuff that you're doing is just super cool. And I get the feeling that after hearing, uh, after hearing this interview, we're going to have a few hundred listeners that uh, might want to set you up with their niece, their granddaughter, their <laughs> 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 what, what, whatever it is. 
all, all the help I can get. It's just I'm, now I'm just like, why wasn't I on this sooner? If that's the case, like, what? <laughs> uh, I think it's awesome. And if people uh, if people want to follow you, then uh, is High Five Live kind of the best way? You seem to check in there quite a bit yourself. Yeah, yeah, I'd say just just go and follow High Five Live. I, I, that's probably the best way as far as either reaching me or whatnot. That's stellar. Well, this has just been fantastic. I really appreciate the conversation. We're going to wrap things up with the uh, question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, Mike White, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Yeah, for for me, it means it means change. Uh, it means progress. You know, as I, I've talked just a bit here in in this episode, I I sometimes I want to be perfect quicker than really what's possible. And their whole reason that I go to church, the whole reason that I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is because I am here to set forth a process to where I can become perfect, right? I'm going to grow grace by grace. And, and, and that is, as I know that that is God's plan for me to you know, make progress and screw up, make more progress, screw up. As Richard G. Scott said, I can become who I want to be by consistently being who I want to become. And that right there is through the gospel. So that's what it means to me. Oh, I just love it. He is a speaker. He is the host of many events. And I will throw it out there one more time. He is single. So I'll just put that out there. (laughs) I'll just leave that right there. But he's definitely, definitely a, a, a choice child of God. And Mike, you're just a good man. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And my special thanks to my guest, Michael White. He is so humble and so inspiring and such an easy guy to talk to. He is going to do great things in this world. Already is but I think his future is very bright. Thank you, Michael. Uh, This week in my Latter-day Life, as Michael and I talked about uh, London, I had a lot of fond memories that came back. I have spent, outside of uh, the U.S., maybe I've been to Mexico City and Toronto a bit more, but otherwise I have been to London more than anywhere else in the world. And maybe it is London even more than those other places. Uh, There was one year that I went to London seven times on business. (laughs) In fact, I was there so often. One of the times I literally was there for a night. I flew in for one really important meeting and then flew back home. And the flight to London got to the point where it wasn't even really that long, you know. Uh, Usually I would connect through New York. I'd fly to, to New York from here. Occasionally I'd fly from here either to Paris Uh, or into Amsterdam. But at the time that I was traveling, there was not a direct nonstop uh, in and out of London. And there was one trip that was just kind of wore me out. We we had done quite a bit. I had been to Paris on that trip as well, and then had finished the trip in London. And I I just remember being tired, and my flight Uh, out of London to come back home, I'm assuming I was flying back to New York, was just super, super early in the morning. And so to prepare myself, I I went to bed pretty early. 
and I wanted to get one good night's sleep. Now, one thing about me, even though I've spent so much time on airplanes, uh, I don't sleep well on planes at all. I don't like sleeping, especially if someone is directly next to me. It drives me nuts. I don't know why I want to sleep, but I just can't. And uh, so I wanted to get a good night's sleep just in case. Uh, For point of reference, I've been on some 12 and 13 hour flights that I've still not slept the entire time. So, uh, So the night before, we got done with our meetings and whatnot, and I got to bed pretty early. And through a series of just crazy events, uh, I had some dry cleaning that the hotel had done that they delivered to my room while I was already in bed. They left the door propped open and unlocked on accident. And some people who were a couple of people who were quite intoxicated ended up coming into my room which caused quite a stir. I was fast asleep and suddenly the lights were on and two people were in my room and I started yelling and that that made them yell and it was terrible. And I'd only been asleep for about a half hour and this was going on at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night. Finally, they left and I called down to the front desk and (laughs) got things taken care of. But I was just so shaken that I could not go back back to sleep no matter what. And so I laid there, I watched movies for a while, and I kept trying to fall asleep, whatever. And finally, it was just time to get up and take a shower and head to the airport. And as I was sitting in the cab, you know that feeling. You've, we've all had it, where you stay up all night, and I'm on a different time zone, and I had been traveling all week anyway. I felt so sick and so miserable. I just felt horrible. And as I sat in that cab, I prayed for comfort, not for comfort to my soul, but I prayed that somehow I would be comfortable on the flight home. And my preferred, you know, I fly coach and I get upgraded a lot, free upgrades in within the U.S., but internationally, those are a lot, a lot harder to come by. So I would never expect that. But uh, usually I try to figure out if there's any way to get a seat with nobody next to me. And then I can turn my legs sideways. And uh, as I was in the cab heading over to Heathrow Airport, I just prayed and prayed. And I said, Heavenly Father, and this is not something I normally pray for, but I just said, I'm so tired. And you, you know how tired I am. And I'm a large man. And I have a hard time getting comfortable sometimes on planes. And I just begged Heavenly Father, that I would figure out how to be comfortable on a plane and how to sleep. And as I got to the airport and I checked in, I said, I hate to even ask, but is there any way there's a seat with nobody next to it? And the lady helping me said, I'm sorry, unfortunately, this flight is completely sold out. We are overbooked. You know, there's nothing we can do. And I said, I I understand. And she said, fortunately for you, you ended up getting a free upgrade, and we've moved you up to first class. I was so overcome with emotion, I almost started crying, and I'm sure a lot of that was just how worn out and tired I was. But I really got emotional, and she handed me my my boarding pass, and I was on a window seat in the very front row, the bulkhead. And as I walked away, I just prayed in my heart and my head that Heavenly Father was well aware 
And that while I had so much panic in my soul about this long flight and being so tired, and what if I couldn't rest, and what if I was packed into this seat with other people and everything else, but he had something very nice and special in store for me. A funny side note, as I got on that plane, uh, these were the lay-flat seats that they have in a lot of international flights. literally folds down flat into a bed. And I told the flight attendant, I said, do not bother me no matter what throughout this flight. Just, I don't want food. I don't want drinks. As soon as we are up in the air and it's safe to do so, I'm laying down flat and I'm going to go to sleep. And the bulkhead seat sort of was up against the wall, but it had a cutout. So as you laid down flat, your feet and your legs kind of went into this little, almost a cave, (laughs) just a little cutout for your legs and feet to go into. And we got up in the air and I laid that seat down flat, but the lights and the food service and everything was kind of bothering me. So I actually flipped myself around and put my head down where my feet and legs should have gone and had my own little cave and put a pillow uh, kind of up against the wall there. And I slept in there. And uh, kind of a funny story, but at one point the flight attendant came over and tapped me. And I remember I was in the deepest sleep you could imagine. And I was very bothered because I had told her, please don't don't tap on my leg. But I crawled out kind of uh, out from under the cave and I looked at her and I could barely open my eyes because it was so bright. And I said, what? What's happening? And she said, sir, we're about to land. (laughs) And I had basically slept through the entire seven hour flight. And as I put my seat up and and, uh, was kind of trying to you know, wake up a little bit. The person next to me said, I, you, I don't think you moved the entire flight. I think you were just, you were completely lifeless. And she said, the flight attendant and I were kind of laughing. You never stirred. You must've been really tired. But then I was so well rested and it was one of my favorite flights ever. God is so, so very aware of us. And sometimes we think there are just little things that we, we, oh, I don't need to pray for that, or we'll feel unworthy, like that's too small for God. If it's not too small for us, it is not too small for God. And generally, I'm not one to pray for comfort. I find that uh, growth comes with being uncomfortable. But boy, sometimes those little things that might seem minor, he is very aware, and he has those blessings for us if we will only turn to him and ask. I'm so grateful for a God who listens to me, even in the little petty things in life. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. If you enjoy the show and you know someone else who might enjoy it, especially as we're all struggling to get through this uh, coronavirus time, if you could share it with them, we would be so grateful. Uh, we are available on social media. That's an easy way to share. If there's a an episode you particularly enjoy, if you could share it on, on Facebook or Instagram. And if you're not following us there, won't you please uh, follow us? Uh, that's where we announce upcoming guests and share updates on on past guests. If you want to reach out to me directly, I can be reached at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. And as we said at the beginning of the program, if you get a chance to leave us a review, whether it's on Facebook or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, we would greatly appreciate it. It is literally the number one thing you can do to help the show because it helps other people to find the show. The more reviews we have, the higher we raise in the search engines when people are 
searching for us. And we just thank you so much for all of your support. Well, I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening.